You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Well, good morning. How are y'all doing today? So all of us here are doing better than Brian, okay? Brian is not feeling well this morning. And, uh, you know, this is the first time Brian has ever missed Sunday worship uh, because he was not feeling well, so in all of his ministry. And there was a time when preachers would push through, right, and you wouldn't really know that they were sick. This is not that time <laughs> in, our, in our world. And so Brian, out of an abundance of caution, for your health and my health, has decided to say, stay home. So everybody turn around, look at the camera, wave to Brian, say, get better soon, Brian. Thank you for thinking about us. Um, so uh, we're going to postpone Brian's examination of Genesis. And I'm excited about Brian's work with Genesis as he's going to walk us through this first seminal and probably the best known by Christians and non-Christians alike book of the Bible. So come back next week with great anticipation to dive in to the book of Genesis. We'll make some references to it today, but the real story is going to be next week. Um, Let me share with you today, I'm going to be talking about the baptism of our Lord. So those of you who've kind of grown up in more liturgical traditions know that the Christian year is divided up into different seasons. And believe it or not, we just finished the Christmas season. We always sing the 12 days of Christmas, and it goes from Christmas Day until Epiphany. So January 6th, before it was any other type of anniversary, was the Epiphany of our Lord, where we could actually celebrate uh, the, the divinity of Christ showing through. So today is the first Sunday after Epiphany, and traditionally, this first Sunday after Epiphany, we celebrate the baptism of our Lord or the baptism of Jesus. So the scriptures that I'm reading today are going to be from that. So it's going to be Luke 15, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3, 15 through 17, and then 21 through 22. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. Then we'll skip to verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we lift up a prayer today for all who are sick and suffering, but particularly our pastor. Ask that you be with him and his family and keep them healthy and safe during this season. Be with us today as we hear your word and with me as I attempt to share your word, that 
what is shared and what is heard be acceptable in your sight. Amen. You know, we have the good fortune here in Florida of being able to be around and in water just about any time of the year. We can go swimming. We can go to the beach. I mean, I just came back from the beach this last week, and it was in the 70s. I'm not sure people in Florida get into the water when it's in the 70s, but there were other people from other parts of the places with different types of um, license plates that were pulling up and, and hopping into the, into the water. But one of the things that it uh, reminds me of when the summer does come around and we do get in the water, for some reason I have these flashbacks from when I was a kid. And when you went to the community pool when I was a kid, there were uh, two types of, of kids in the pool. Those who were dunked and those who did the dunking. <laughs> All right, now I don't want to get too much into my psychosocial development, but how was the kid that was getting dunked, all right? And so those of you who did the dunking, bear with me for a minute because I'm going to talk a little bit about what it was like to be on the other side of that laughter that was above the water where you could actually breathe. Um, but when you're, not only do you kind of feel embarrassed when you're being pushed underwater, you, at least the first several times this happens, you begin to uh, panic. You know, you just don't know what to do. I mean, so Somebody's physically with their strength holding you underwater. And you, you actually um, know you can't breathe. You can't open your mouth. You hold your breath for as long as you can. But the more you struggle, the quicker that air goes away. And you're wondering, you know, what's going to happen? You know, what, am I going to get up? Am I going to take a deep breath, gulp in air? When I get up out of the water, what am I going to do? When I come up out of the water, will I come up? And what usually happens? <laughs> Another dunking. You know, as soon as they let you come up, take a breath out. Right back in. It's one of the most helpless feelings that I can remember. And um, after a while, not to say that I was a serial dunky, but maybe so. <laughs> after a while, you begin to kind of overcome the panic. And you realize that the strategy to get out of this is just to be calm, think through. If they don't let up in time, there's not much you can do about it. If they do let up in time, and almost every time they did, you know, there was a way for you to get up, get out of there, and maybe get out of the pool. I made resolutions that I would never do that because I understood what it was like to be the, the person dunked. And... When I've owned a pool and have seen other kids playing around in the pool, I mean, you can do a lot of things in my pool, but you can't dunk somebody in my pool. I just, a rule that I made while I was underwater one morning. <laughs> and so if you've, if you've known that feeling of being kind of helpless underwater, um, you, you kind of understand this image that we have of, of baptism believe it or not. You know, the, the Greek word for baptism is from the word immerse. Immerse. Okay. Now, we Methodists, we sprinkle, we put a little water on your head. <laughs> okay. But other traditions will actually, you know, literally dunk you underwater. Now, I hope there's no preachers out there that make you get really close to death so that you can understand the resurrection better. But, um, 
it's, it's at least metaphorical and symbolic to think about what it means to be put under water and to come back out of water a new person. And it should be representative of a new phase of life, a new set of commitments, not to dunk anybody. There may be other commitments that you make when you come up out of the water. And uh, for those of us who, who have traditions that don't involve immersion, by the way, Jared's about, oh, sure, Jared's about to do a podcast on what it means to be Methodist. I don't mean to steal his thunder, but one of the things that, you know, if you're Methodist, you can be immersed or you can be sprinkled. We're not that picky. Only thing we're picky about is you just get baptized once. So if you've been baptized in another tradition, we recognize that baptism. We don't re-baptize people in the Methodist church. When you think about the use of water, though, you think about, you know, it can recall that immersion, even if we just put a little bit on a baby's head, or a child's head, or an adult's head. It can recall that immersion. It can recall other aspects of water that are so dynamic. And I'm sure Brian's going to get into this when, when we talk about Genesis. But the first images of the Bible are about the Spirit moving across the face of the deep. The earth was without form and void. They separate the domes of the water in the sky. They thought of the blue sky as a, a dome, uh, water above the dome, and the, the waters below, and eventually land kind of grew out of that. And from that, all life. If you jump over to Genesis 2, you, the first images they talk about are the Tigris, the Euphrates, all of the rivers that make up what we think of as the Fertile Crescent and the life-giving powers of that. So both water holds this idea of chaos, fusion, destruction, potentially death. And it's this life-giving source that we all need. We have to stay hydrated. We all have our water bottles with us. Got to stay hydrated. And when we, when we get near water, at least for me, it kind of brings up all of those images. Not to mention the image of cleansing and cleaning and purifying. Not simply in a physical way, although a good shower feels good every once in a while. But when you think about the things that you have done, the things that kind of have built up in your soul, it's good. It's good sometimes even just to take a physical shower, just to kind of let all that stuff drip off of you. And so here we are after Christmas, after the Feast of the Epiphany, when we celebrate what it means to see Christ, see the divinity of God in Christ, to see the ordinary transfigured and transposed in our very eyes, that God is here amongst us, that people would journey for miles and miles and come and see this baby that was the one who was God with us. We're celebrating the baptism of Jesus. And we find Jesus at the Jordan River with his cousin John. I've grown up near rivers all my life. Uh, when I was in Texas, the boundary for 
the river the, between Texas and Oklahoma was the Red River. We had the Sabine between Texas and Louisiana and the Rio Grande between Texas and Mexico. You might have been places where the, the river divided counties or the river divided states or the river divided countries. And there was always these places, you know, in, in Georgia and Atlanta, a lot of places that are named ferry or bridge, right? Because one of the most important things was, was how do you get across the river? And you could build up little settle, trade settlements around these areas where, you know, the bridge was or the ferry was. Those were important things of how you get across the river. But it's tough. It's tough getting across the river. And if you go to some of the great cathedrals of our Christian tradition, you'll find the baptismal font, not at the front of the church that we've come to do in the, in, you know, the Protestant church typically so that people can see what's going on, but it will be in the back of the church, near the entrance of the church. And so it's a threshold for crossing into this life that we lead as people of faith. It's the initiation. And all those things we talked about water, all of those things are what it takes to be initiated into this life that we know as faith. That helplessness that you feel when you're being dunked. That nourishment that you feel when you're close to the source of life, the chaos that you feel when you look out on a stormy lake or ocean, the ability to move across the world if you could build a ship that will float across it, the joy of swimming and floating in there, the cleansing nature that you get when you actually let yourself just kind of uh, let all that stuff drip off of you. And the way that it keeps you going, 70-whatever percent of our bodies are water. Crossing that threshold, all of those things that it means, brings us into this community together. And one of the things that we believe as Methodists is that we'll baptize babies. Some denominations won't. My dad was Catholic. My mom was Baptist. Catholics baptize babies. Baptists baptize people when they are adults and older, or at least old enough to understand the profession of faith that they're making. So what did my parents do? They baptized us in the Catholic Church when I was seven. So I would understand what was going on, but I would also have a Catholic baptism. So that was a genetically Methodist baptism, I guess. But the Methodist tradition, we talk about baptism because it is God-affirming that helplessness. It's God telling you that that nourishment is always going to be there. It's God saying that when the storms rise on the water, he's going to be with you. It's God saying that when you feel dehydrated and you can't take another step, he will give you refreshment. It's God saying that no matter how sullied you feel your soul and your relationships are, he'll cleanse you. It's God saying, not only do I ask you to join me in this life, 
I'm going to go first. And so when you read the scripture that we talked about today, it was Jesus coming to the river, to the edge, to the edge, to the river, to the boundary, to dive in, to be immersed in that chaos, to be immersed in that struggle, to be immersed in that helplessness, to be immersed in that cleansingness, to be immersed in that opportunity to gain the water that we need for life. But he didn't go alone. It says when all the people were baptized and Jesus was baptized along with them. He doesn't go alone. He takes us with him. And he comes not as the leader, but as somebody who is following the one who was there to prepare the way, his cousin John. Do you remember the story just a few months ago about John? <laughs> just a couple of months ago. All right? Elizabeth was given a son long after anybody expected her to be able to bear children. That son became John. Her cousin Mary came to visit her shortly after Mary became pregnant with Jesus. And so these cousins grew up together, but when they were still in the womb, Elizabeth greeted Mary and, and, and knew immediately that the baby that Mary was carrying special was divine. So these two guys grew up together and they're out there on the bank of the Jordan River together. And this particular story of John baptizing Jesus, it begins with John actually leading a movement and bringing people to the water's edge. And people were afraid of the calamity of the day. They didn't know what was going to happen. There wasn't a pandemic. There wasn't a pandemic, but there was something like it. They didn't know what was next. Every time they felt like they were breath out of water, dunked them back down. And when it came time to actually reverse the world and to turn it upside down, there were people praying for it. There were people hoping for it. There were people afraid of it. And so if you go back to some of the passage that I didn't read, John has these folks coming to the edge of the Jordan who are seeking to be baptized. And you might remember the one preparing the way in the wilderness. And John said, some of you folks are out here just because you're scared. You don't know what's going to happen. But let me tell you what's expected of you. Let me tell you what's expected of you if you step foot in the river with me. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestors. For I tell you, God is able to lift up 
ancestors' descendants from these stones. And they said, well, then what shall we do? In reply, he said, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more taxes than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers, images of the imperialistic oppression that they were facing right then, came to him to be baptized, and they said, What should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. So you, it's not magic. It's not magic. It's not going to throw the holy water on you, and everything's going to change. you got to come into it with a sense that when you come out of the water, you're going to be different. Even Jesus, even Jesus marked the moment with prayer. He went almost immediately into the desert to begin to think about how his life was going to be different. So we come here today remembering our baptism. Whether anybody's ever put water on your head or not, it doesn't matter. Think about, think about the time, think about that moment when you needed your life and your world to be different from the way it's been. Think about God offering that little drop, that shower, or maybe even that immersive bath says you can be different. You can confront your fears. You can take away the injustice in the world. By being transformed yourself, you can transform others. We're living in a time and it feels like just coming up for air, stealing a breath. And the pandemic pushes us right back under. While you're there, don't panic. Try to be calm. Resolve to be different and to relieve the suffering of those for whom you can. So when you come up for air, you come up for air, what is it? Is it that you will do and be that will make it clear to everyone, to everyone, even if the heavens don't part and the dove doesn't land on your head, what will make it clear to everyone that you are now God's beloved son or daughter, a 
upon whom his favor rests. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.